I use the term prepare to meet your maker kind of as a uh, as an icebreaker. I mean, that term's been used before, but maybe not in this context. But uh, I think it's important for everyone to realize that there is going to be a time in your existence that you're going to meet God. <laughs> Isn't that something to think about? And, and, uh, and I guarantee you there are people out there that have never thought about that. They've never given one second to that concept that they're going to meet God. And so I start out like this. Well, let me, let me just give you this verse. John 5, 25 says this. Jesus said these words. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Isn't that powerful? He's talking about the spiritually dead, the people that we're surrounded by. There's coming a day, and this is it, when they will hear the voice of God and they will live. And I believe God specifically spoke to me that he would, in these last days, he would tune their ears to my voice and my voice to their ears. That there will be people that you would never suspect that will turn and begin to seek and search for God. And some of them may be your relatives and your friends and we need to be ready when they begin to awaken which I believe it's already begun well we need to be ready to present the truth to them in in a way that you know a hundred years ago they may have presented the gospel differently than we need to present it now and I'll tell you some of the things that I've changed or tweaked to, to reach the generation that we're dealing with today. I think it's very important. That's why you need writers in every generation. Every generation needs to hear the message taught and preached in their language by one of their contemporaries. If not, we could just all read Martin Luther and nobody would ever have to write another book. But people don't do that. They want to read books from people who live at the same generation and face the same problems. And so we need to be ready to offer old truths to a new generation, ancient truths. The answer's still the same. The problem's still the same. But the people have changed, and there's, there, there are different uh, thought patterns and different thoughts that dominate our society today that didn't 100 years ago. But God... I'm I'm claiming this promise for our generation that the hour is now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. How many of you can agree with me that people are going to hear the voice or the message of the gospel today? Many people spend years of their life preparing for retirement they actually spend more time preparing for retirement than they, than, they, than they live in retirement in most cases. Some people make plans for their death by getting a funeral uh, package. And they plan the songs that are going to be sung. And everything is already pre-planned and prepaid, And they're all ready for their funeral. And they make plans uh, about what they're going to do with their possessions and their money and their estate. And they're very meticulous in planning ahead. And many of these same people take not one second to prepare for eternity. Life after death. Maybe they've thought that you can't really do anything about that, but they're wrong. 
Maybe they've thought that it isn't that important, that you just do the best you can and find out when the time comes. That's wrong. You know, people pay for insurance on their cars, and they don't ever plan to have a wreck, but it could happen. They buy homeowner's insurance for their home, and they never plan to have a hurricane or a storm damage their home, but it could happen. So just in case, we pay money. We, we make arrangements. We make sacrifices to prepare for the worst. We believe for the best, but we prepare for the worst. And we consider that being responsible, good business, looking ahead. And yet again, these same people don't take one minute to prepare for eternity. For life after death. They're totally unprepared to go from this life to the next. And that should not be the case. When the time comes and we step over from this life to the next, I don't want to be guilty of taking better care of my house and my car and my estate than I did my eternal soul. How about you? I want to be prepared for the most important moment of my existence, the day when I stand before God. Isn't that neat? Isn't that a great thought? You know, uh, your pastor's been to my, to my um, lake that I frequent near Tulsa, and we have a well-known atheist in our, in our dock. And he is the most uh, responsible person. He's a lawyer, he's smart, he's educated, he's, he's active takes care of his body, and I, I just have to be honest, I wrote this whole book just for him and people like him who have done the best they could do with everything in their power, but they've taken no thought, made no preparation whatsoever for life after death. They don't believe there is a God, but let me ask you this, you don't believe you're going to have a flood either or a car wreck. But there's a chance you might. When you look at the universe and you see the stars in the sky and the orbits and the beauty and the vastness, when you look at the plant world and see all of the intricate uh, plants and animals and how the ecosystem is interdependent and how the seasons uh, come and go and how everything is done in, in precision and order, what are the chances that that didn't just happen. Even if you're an atheist, don't you think there's a chance that all of this didn't happen accidentally? I mean, we know there's a big chance that it didn't, but even if you were just doing the odds in Las Vegas and you looked at creation itself, what are the odds that it didn't just happen accidentally? Have you ever seen anything so beautiful happen accidentally for no reason out of nowhere and nothing. You know, people act like believing God is, is you know, uh, short-sighted and it's a crutch for the weak and religion, you know, is for weak people. But what is the alternative in believing in God? The alternative, uh, there, there's believing in God and in the beginning God created the heavens of, and the earth. And if you think that's foolish and ridiculous, the alternative is to believe that all of this came from nothing for no reason. To me, that's more absurd than to believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Either way, you can't deny it's here. 
<laughs> and that's where we've won the argument. I mean, it would be one thing if we did this all on paper and you said, let's, pre- let's pre- pretend there was a world and there was people and there was, and, and let's just, well, we don't have to pretend. We're here. We are here. Creation is here and you can't deny that. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to explain it away and say it's just an accident that came out of nowhere for no reason? Or can you even contemplate the possibility that this may have been created by a creator? And if so, and this is why people flee from this thought, if this was all created by a master designer... You owe your very existence to him. And that's where we lose our crowd. They don't want to think about that. They don't want to approach that subject because if I owe someone my life, that's, that's a greater debt than if somebody saved my life. I mean, I owe my very existence to that creator. Well, if that's true, if there's a possibility... If that's even a slight possibility, would you want to go into eternity and meet the God that's responsible for your life, having never acknowledged him, having never looked for him, having never thanked him for giving you life? I wouldn't. If I'm going to go buy insurance on a car I plan to never wreck, I'm certainly going to find out If there's a God that I need to thank for my existence. Does that make sense? That is the introduction. Now, that's the food for thought. We can chew on that. You throw that out there. But then we go to this point here. And that is this. I'm going to give you four truths to prepare you to meet your maker. And now, it's no more speculation. Now, I'm just going to state the facts, all right? See how we're going to shift. Now, this whole teaching is a plea for salvation to non-believers. Non-believers. Everybody say non-believers. We don't want to call them sinners because that just starts a new argument. Well, what is sin? What is right? What is wrong? Forget that. You're a non-believer. So what do you mean by that? You don't believe in God. That's right. Okay, so you're a non-believer. So there's no argument with that. It's for non-believers. You don't believe in Jesus. That's right. Okay, so you're a non-believer. People can accept that. That's good. Now we're on equal ground. This is to non-believers, and I'm going to give four truths to non-believers to prepare them to meet God, a God that they don't don't admit that even exists. All right, truth number one. You're going to like this. Number one. You will meet God. And that's when we get absolute. Because from here on out, listen, up until now, we've been talking to their minds. Reasoning, logic, speculation, science, Bible, whatever. But now we talk to their spirit. Point number one, you will meet God. I don't even want to have the argument that there is a God. Forget that. There is a God. I'm not going to try to convince you there's a God. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to meet him. You're going to meet God. Every created being is going to meet God. 
And, and, and for us not to tell the world that is to do them a disservice. And to act as if every road leads to God is a disservice. There's a lot of roads. I'm not going to deny that. But only one leads to God. There's only one Savior. So n- point number one, you will meet God. Think about that. You may not believe there is a God. You may have never reached your goals, your potential. You may be rich or poor. You may be young or old. You may be educated or non-educated. It doesn't matter. Every single person is going to meet God. So well, I don't like that. I don't care. It's going to happen. You know, they say that there's only two things for sure. <laughs> you heard that? I think Benjamin Franklin said that. Death and taxes. Let me tell you something. You know, some people aren't going to die. They're going to be raptured. Other people are tax exempt. I'm going to tell you something that's more sure than death and taxes. You know what that is? You are going to meet God. You may never pay another tax as long as you live, but you're going to meet God. You may live till Jesus comes back and still be alive, but you're going to meet God. God, are you ready for that moment? Are you ready for that? And I'm not telling you as a righteous, better than thou, holier than thou, hellfire and brimstone preacher. Listen, I you've got financial planners, you got funeral planners. I'm an eternity planner. I'm here for your good. We're gonna sit down, we're gonna talk about how do you want to spend eternity? What level do you want to be at when you go into eternity? How do you want to, to, to perceive yourself in a thousand, ten thousand years? I did this with a financial planner one time, and it just depressed me. I'm like, I just got married. I got two kids and a wife, and we got all the bills we can stand. And he says, if you put $20 a month back for the rest of your life, your money will last till you're 81. And he's had this graph, and when I was 81, it went to zero. I said, you're telling me that if I don't die, by the time I'm 81, I'm broke? I said, I don't like your plan. I don't like that plan. It's not going to work for me. I don't want to have to die or go broke. I don't want that choice. In my 70s, you know, it's like you got five years. You either die or you're going to be broke. What do you choose? I, I don't want that. But he did it. He, he planned it out. He had a graph. He was a professional. He's very serious. I'm an eternity planner. Do you want the graph <laughs> to go this way <laughs> or this way? Because you can choose. Yeah, and, and, and this is for people who, who uh, and then they do this with funerals all the time. And I'm, I'm probably going to, I need to go meet with one of these funeral planners to just get their sales pitch because they're probably real good at it. But it's like, you know, you don't want your kids to have to mess with this. You don't want them to decide. You want to do this yourself. We can sit down. We'll give you a discount and all and on and on and on. Listen, uh, let's talk about eternity. You are going to leave your body and your spirit's going to live forever. Uh, Everybody's going to live forever. How do you want to spend that portion of your existence? How do you want to spend eternity? It's a long time. Let's talk about eternity. Shall we? <laughs> Eternity. So, well, I don't want to think about it. You should. You thought about your funeral. You thought about your retirement. You thought about what your kids are going to do when you're gone. Why wouldn't you think about eternity? That's more important. It takes longer. 
never ends. Let me give you some scriptures. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's no, no speculation, there's no gap, there's no exceptions. Everybody's going to live and die and face the judgment. Whether you believe in God or not, you will meet him. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books and in verse 13 it says and they were judged each one according to his works then verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And can I just tell you, it's our responsibility to make sure our name is written in the book of life. God doesn't decide who's in and who's out. People decide. Your neighbors don't decide, but you can decide. You can make sure that your name is written in the book of life. That is your choice and yours alone. God wants everyone's name to be written in the book of life, and he's made it possible for that to happen. But the ultimate decision is up to you. Do you make plans, or do you just let it happen? Do you take control of your future, or do you just see what happens and hope for the best? That's not good enough for me. I wouldn't do that with my retirement. I don't want to do that with eternity. I want to know what's happening. I want to know that I've done my part to prepare for the biggest part of my existence. To get out of this, and, and it's, it's a, I mean, look, the, the dead will be judged by the things written in the books. What do you think is written in the books? Let me tell you, every thought, every word, and every action is written in the book but John 3 18 says this he who believes in him is not condemned because he does not believe or he who does not believe is condemned already and that's the key he he believes in Jesus is not condemned and but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God every person has an obligation to search for their creator. As I said, you're here. You can't deny that. You've got to deal with it. You can't act as if you're not here. You can't act as if you didn't happen. You happened. Here you are. How did you get here? Where'd you come from? Why are you here? Do we really want to live our entire life and not ask those questions and not give them a serious uh, search, a serious study? I don't. That's not good enough for me. I want to know. You may not consider yourself very successful or very influential or very significant. doesn't matter. You're here. You exist. You came out of nothing. And the earth is here to support you and feed you and clothe you and, and give you a place to exercise your talents. You didn't do that. Somebody else did that for you. And he deserves credit. He deserves some thanksgiving. He deserves to be found. Thing is, you can live your whole life and ignore the existence of God, and He won't push Himself on you. That's just the kind of God He is. 
But if you want to know God, you can find him and know him. Some people think he's, you know, if he's, if he, he, there is a God, he doesn't care. That's just not the case at all. He does care. He hid himself to be found. Are you, are you listening? Say, well, why doesn't God just appear? Why doesn't he just reveal himself? He's hidden so he can be found. Now, I didn't make the rules. I might not have done it that way if it had been me. I would have probably butted into everybody's life and said, look, I'm God, and if you don't serve me, I'll kill you. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. You know, I would have been probably that kind of a God, but that's not the way he chose to do it. He's chosen to give everybody a free life and a free will and given them a chance to live in this world. No strings attached, none whatsoever. And if you don't want God, he will not bother you. But he's hidden so he can be found. And there is a universal spiritual principle that has it worked right here, right now, everywhere in the world, and here it is. And as I was preparing this, this is really the key scripture in this whole teaching. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And I'll give them a minute if they want to put that up. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And this tells us so much about God's character and God's intentions and God's nature. Because there are people who believe that if there is a God, he's probably mad at them. And if there is a God and they ever found him, he'd probably punish them if he hasn't already. And they blame all their problems on this invisible God. He's a great scapegoat. But that is not the truth. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, tells us the real truth. God spoke this to all of us. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Peace, not evil, a future and a hope. Who's given you those kind of promises today? Who's wanting you to be successful? Who wants you to be blessed? Who wants you to have peace? God! And probably no one else. Certainly not Russia. Not China, not Washington, but God is for you. Then, here's the key. Look at the next verse. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And there it is. That's, that's really enough said right there. If you could just give that to the world and say, look, you're afraid of a God who loves you. He wants to do nothing but good for you. And if you'll only seek him, search for him, look for him, the universal spiritual principle is this. You will find him. He's not hidden to be hidden. He's hidden to be found. And anyone, anywhere that begins this search and says, you know what, I'm here. I can't deny the fact that I exist. I didn't come out of nowhere, and I don't believe that I'm just the product of, uh, of, of biological accidents. I believe that there was a, an intelligent creator behind my existence, and I want to find him. If you would just give him that much, you could find God. 
So how do you know? Because I found him. There's enough information in his word. You say, well, you can't see God. It's impossible. No, it's not impossible. He gave us instructions in his word. How many of you have seen a Bible? They're everywhere. The Gideons make sure you can have one for free. The Bible's everywhere. And that's the evidence he's left behind. There's enough in there for any person anywhere to find God. There's a hunger in everyone's heart to know where they came from. And there's a desire in every heart that only God can satisfy. You can't deny that. You can't run them far enough to get away from that. That's how you were built. That's how you were made. It would be like a Nissan truck saying, I, the Nissan knows nothing about me. No, they know everything about you. I have a Nissan truck, so I personalized it. I know, it's not something to be proud of. It's hard to be proud, you know, of a Japanese truck, but, but I'm doing my best. It, it's really a nice truck. But for, for a Nissan or a Chevrolet to say to Chevrolet company, you don't know anything about me. No, we know everything about you. We designed you. And if you want to really operate to your best potential, you should stay in touch. Get your maintenance done. Get fixed. God created you with a desire to know him. And nothing else will do. I've said this for a long time now, but... It's true. The world is filled with people who are trying to live their lives without God. And it's not working very well, is it? Hence, all the trouble that we see all around us. It's people trying to live life without God, doing it a different way. And it doesn't work. But if you seek him, you will find him. When you search for him with all your heart. So I can tell you, those people out there that are denying God's existence and saying there is no God. If there was a God, I would have found him. They've never searched for him with all their heart. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is. That's all it takes. Is for a person just to say, okay, God, I believe you exist. And I'm going to search for you. I'm looking to find you. I want to know you. That's all the invitation he wants. Otherwise, he would just be butting into everybody's life. He can't do it for one and not for the others. So he's made himself equally accessible by faith. And the, the truth is, it's not that God was harder for some people to find than others, or God was closer to, to some and further from others. That's just not true. The truth is that if anybody will seek him, they will find him. He's just as close to anyone. But there are some that sought him with all their heart. And there are others who have not done that yet. That's why we're talking about these things. To stir them. To seek. Let me give you one more scripture that backs up this principle. Luke chapter 11 verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. This is why it's not okay to just wait and see what happens. Because I guarantee you there's a lot of people today, they do everything meticulously, they plan ahead for everything except eternity, and in their mind it's, you know, you just do the best you can, and then you just hope everything turns out, because you, you just never really know. That's 
false. He who seeks will find. He who knocks, it'll be open. To those who ask, they'll receive. And those who seek God with all their heart, they will find him. Does that make sense? That's point number one. You will meet God. Number two, all have sinned. This is why you can't wait. This is why it's impossible to stand before God. You say, well, I'll just deal with it when I get there. I'll tell God. I'll give him my, my case. I mean, I grew up in a, tough, in a tough family, a broken home, in a bad neighborhood. I had to deal with all these issues. I'll just tell God what it was like if, that, if it comes to that, and he'll surely understand. No, all have sinned, and, and we cannot, none of us, are prepared to stand before God in our own works. We're all guilty. And, and, and I, I like this phrase, all have sinned, rather than in some salvation presentations, it's you are a sinner. I don't want to say that to people today. I'd rather say it this way, all have sinned. So we're talking to non-believers, and we're saying to non-believers, all have sinned. We're all in this together. Nobody has earned the right to go to heaven. Nobody's earned the right to live in righteousness. Nobody can earn that. We're all in the same boat. And you do not want to enter eternity and stand before God alone. Because you will be judged according to your works. And who wants that? I mean, if, if, you know, if the IRS can keep records, think about God's records. Every thought, every word, and every action is, is recorded and will be replayed and will be judged based on that. I don't want to try to talk my way out of that. I mean, if you know what I'm saying. I don't want to try to explain that. And you can't. We're guilty. One sin is enough to send someone to hell. It's, it's, it's in fact, we inherited sin. We didn't have a chance. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Adam sinned and passed down the sin nature to, to everyone. And so there's no... <coughs> Ephesians 2, 3 says it this way. <coughs> Excuse me. Among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. So, so not only ha do we commit sin, but we are sinful. We, we sin because we're sinners. We have the nature of sin. And, and it's important to understand that because th that keeps us from trying to, to change our behavior and do more good works than bad. No, even if you did more good works than bad, it doesn't eliminate the bad works. And it doesn't change who you are in your heart because without Jesus... We were born in sin. We are a sinful, uh, it's sinful humanity because of what, what Adam did. And it's not just what we do on the outside that counts. It's who we are on the inside. That is something we had no control over. Our father, Adam, sinned and sin was passed down to every person except Jesus that's why Jesus was born of a virgin. His father was God. The sin nature was not passed down to Jesus, but it was passed down to all of us. So there's no way for us in this present condition to present ourselves to a holy God. 
We're not ready for eternity without the Savior. Does that make sense? Sin has made it impossible for anyone to please God in their own works. So we must have a Savior. So number two, all have sinned. Number three, this is good news. Once you realize the condition, the human condition, number three is, is, is the best news you've ever heard. Number three is Jesus died for our sins. Man, without that word, there's nothing but bad news. I mean, this changes everything. Nobody would have a chance if Jesus hadn't died for our sins, but he did. See, well, I didn't, I, I'm not sure about that. I wasn't there. No, you weren't there when the world was created either, but it, it was. You weren't, you weren't there when Adam and Eve were formed from the dust of the earth, but it happened. And you might not have been there when Jesus died for our sins, but it happened. This is your only, your only chance. This is the only Savior. It's the only way to God. And, and, and really, if you want to see, you know, people say, well, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And, and I mean, you know, there, explanations, you know, will be made for this throughout eternity. But let me give you one. If you were a thousand miles from land in the middle of the ocean and you were swimming with no life jacket and a, and, and a rescue swimmer came to save you and his name was Christ and you said, you know what, I don't want you to save me. What's he supposed to do? There is nobody else. There's no other rescuer. There's no other road. There's no life jacket. There's no other organization. There's nobody else there. It's just him. And you say, I do not want your help. What's he supposed to do? Save you anyway? Argue? Say, I don't care what you say. I'm going to save you. That's not the way God operates. No, there... I don't know. I, I've never been real conf, uh, confrontational. I grew up Methodist. <laughs> we didn't argue. We didn't know anything. And so we were real nice, nice folks. And so w when I found out that Jesus was the Savior, I didn't argue with that. I'm just glad there was one. I mean, you know, it's like there is one? Really? I'm not going to argue with how God did it. I'm just glad he did it. I didn't even spend time asking, is there anybody else? Were you the only one? No, I'm just glad there is one, because for a while I wasn't sure I could be saved. But thank God there is a way, and his name is Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. Yeah, sin's a problem. Yes, sin's sends people to hell. Yes, sin is universal. Yes, it was passed down from Adam, and all of us have felt its effects. But Jesus died for your sins. That is good news, isn't it? And it shouldn't be that hard to accept. I mean, the alternative is clear. You either stand before God in your own works and try to make excuses, or you accept the fact that Jesus died to pay that debt. I'll take that deal every day. A thousand times out of a thousand, I'll take that deal. How about you? As a, again, I'm just glad there is a way. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. Because there's this phrase that goes around in secular society. Well, all roads lead to God. We don't want to offend anyone, you know. 
So oh, We'll just say all roads lead to God. No, they don't. Yes, there are a lot of roads. Yes, lots of roads. There's straight roads and narrow roads, wide roads. There's uphill roads and downhill roads. There's paved roads and gravel roads and bumpy roads, but only one road leads to God, and his name is Jesus. And think about this. Jesus even said it. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. You know, <laughs> who's ever gotten on a road just because it was wide? You know, like, that's a wide road. I'm going to take that road. Well, I would want, I want to go to Tulsa. I don't want to go on a wide road. I just want, you, you get on a road that takes you where you want to go. And then you say, well, it sure is wide. It's nice or it's, it's not nice or whatever. But this is where I want to go. I'm going to be on this road, not because of what it looks like, but because of where it takes me. Jesus is the only way to God. And he said, it's narrow, but, 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 but it leads to God. It takes you where you want to go. I'm not a hiker. I, I, I don't get hiking. It's like you walk for what? <laughs> if we went on a trek. That's just a fancy word for hiking, and I don't like it. You're, you're walking to nowhere on a difficult road. That doesn't inspire me. And then you've got to come back. It just gets worse. But now I have been on some really bad roads. Some really bumpy roads, dangerous roads in my life in different countries around the world. But they always took me where I wanted to go or I wouldn't have been on that road. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not out to just punish myself. You know, if there's two routes to the same place, one of them is an interstate, I'm going to take the interstate. But if the interstate doesn't go where I want to go, I'm not going to get on it. I want to go to heaven. I want to be right with God. I want to be ready for eternity. And there's only one road that gets me there. His name is Jesus. And I'll take Jesus and everything that comes with it. If it's narrow and there are very few exceptions and, 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 and he's very specific in what he did, that's fine. But I'm on that road because I want to go where that road takes me. How about you? I'm not going to try to get around it. I'm not going to try to take shortcuts. I'm not going to try to say, well, you know, God loves me anyway. I want to know, what do I have to do to stay on this road? Where is the line? And where is this line? You know, people talk about uh, Christianity as being bondage. But you don't think of that on a highway when it's foggy. You don't think, man, these lines are really cramping my style. That yellow line is getting on my nerves. I'm not going to let the state tell me where I can drive my vehicle. I don't want to drive on this side of the line. I'm going to drive on that side of the line. I'll just show them who I, who's boss. I need to express myself, <laughs> my individuality. And my individuality does not exist just between these two lines. That is constraining me. I'm going to drive on that side of the line. You can do that, but you may wreck your car. You're going to hit a tree or a culvert or, or a rock or drive off a cliff. And when you do, don't say, the state of Louisiana has made me 
destroy my vehicle. They had nothing to do with it. They tried to tell you. Drive between these two lines. And that's what happens when we, when we accept Jesus. We accept the narrow road. And, and, and it, but it leads us where we want to go. And he didn't put these, these restrictions on your life to deny you or to cheat you or to rob you. He put the restrictions there because it's dangerous to live another way of life. It's dangerous to go outside of that. He's not trying to make an example out of you and show the world how much you're willing to deny to be a Christian. That not, has nothing to do with it. These things that, that are outside the boundaries of Christianity are not good for you. Because God's not only right, He wants what's best for you. And if He requires it, it's because it's better. That's not in the book. That's a side point. Jesus died for your sins. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Christ died for you. Number four. Number four. You must be born again. You must be born again. This is not an option. This is not just what we would prefer, not prefer. You must be. Jesus said these words to Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In verse 5, he said, most assuredly I say, unless one is born of, the water, of water and the spirit, he cannot see. Enter the kingdom of God. In verse 7, he says again, Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. This solves the sin problem. When you're born again, you change on the inside. No longer are you a descendant of sinful Adam, but you get a new nature, the nature of God. No longer is sin something that is part of your nature. It's no, no longer the nature of, of destruction and wickedness, but you receive the nature of God, the life of God. We call it being saved. We call it being receiving eternal life. We call it being born again. It all refers to the same experience. And it happens when you accept Jesus as Lord of your life. But you must be born again. It's not an option. Did you get that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So being a Christian is not changing your behavior. It's not just getting free from addiction. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying to act nice and act religious. None of that works. You must be born again. Because that's the truth, there will be people in heaven that nobody suspected would be there. Because they may not have been the nicest person or the most religious person, but they got born again. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? I believe one of the most oft responses in heaven will be, what are you doing here? <laughs> and the answer will always be the same. I got born again. I mean, I'm, God takes anybody. I got born again. And it was free. I didn't have to prepare for it. I didn't have to pay for it. I, didn't, I just took it. 
man, why wouldn't the world run to God? And the truth is, the world's running away from God right now, and they ought not be. They ought to be running to God because nobody cares about them, wants the best for them, wants to do more for them than Almighty God. So, there's only one thing left to do. How do you get it? And uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tell you how to get it. This is, this is what you have to do. Now, don't uh, think that it's cheap and, and, and ineffective just because it's simple. God didn't want a complicated method. You know, people like complicated methods. People like strenuous activity to prove their spirituality. I think God would have had possibly more converts if he'd have made rules like, in order to be saved, you have to run around the church five times with a blindfold. And people would have lined up for that because, I mean, I can run around the church five times and that's going to save me. I'm, you know, sign me up. And they'd run around. And you know what it'd do? It'd turn into religion. And they'd say, did you run around the church? Yes, I did. I ran around six. You only ran around five. I ran around six. I'm a little bit better than you. And then you'd have somebody says, oh, yeah, I ran around ten times backwards. <laughs> That's how much I love God. And they say, well, I'm going to go again. I, I mean, I'll, I'll outdo that. And it turns into religion. But to be saved has nothing to do with works. It's so simple that people miss it. Romans 10, 9 if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's not hard, is it? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, with all the issues that we talked about up to now, it's amazing to think that that's all you have to do to prepare for eternity. Surely there's something else. Nope. Surely. I mean, God, I mean, look at all I've done. Is that all it takes? Yep. Because he did the work. That's easier than planning a funeral. That's easier than writing a will. That's easier than getting an insurance policy on your home or your car. It's the easiest thing you've ever done in your life, but it's the most valuable, and it's the most life-changing, and it lasts the longest. Simply believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead after he died for your sins and confess him as Lord. That simply, all that does is say, because, I mean, think about this. Think about it. Jesus died for everyone. He paid the price for everyone. He paid the penalty for everyone's sins. Everyone that ever lived. Uh, but, but not everyone gets it. So how do you get it? You have to take it personally. It's not automatically applied. So each person individually has to say, I see that, I want that. And you do it by accepting Jesus as Lord of your life with the confession. It's kind of like getting married. <laughs> getting married is the easiest thing in the world. You just walk down an aisle, you listen to the preacher say all this stuff, and you go, I do. <laughs> it's what happens next that's hard, but, but you know what I'm saying. It's easy. And, and you think, well, I didn't do anything. All I did was say, I do. Does that matter? You better believe it matters. It changed my life forever. I said, I do, and I didn't know what I did. <laughs> I'm still doing it. 
So Jesus is available. And all you do is confess him as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that he died for your sins. Does that matter? It makes all the difference in the world.